Coleman National Monument in Chicago, Illinois, with your host, Dr. Lynn Hughes. We welcome you to Live from the Pullman National Monument, our global cast magazine format talk radio show, where we discuss all things cultural economic development, i.e. tourism, and we hold informative conversations on the arts, music, business, and people. I'm your host, Dr. Lynn Hughes, founder of the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum, a National Park Service site in Chicago, Illinois. Good day to you, my listening audience, and we thank you for joining us. Stay with us. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Live from the Pullman National Monument. Today's show is partially underwritten by United Auto Workers, Local 551, and Choose Chicago, Chicago's premier tourism marketing agency. In the tradition that we have established here on this show, we always start out talking a little bit about the Pullman National Monument. And I try to give you information on the Pullman National Monument. As I've indicated before, the Pullman National Monument is a little bit different from what is considered the norm of national monuments. The Pullman National Monument is a thematic district. The themes for the thematic district are labor, planning and design, company town structure, rail travel, and black labor history. So those are the themes. Now, in those themes, there are subdivisions or subheadings, if you will, but that is uh, the the gist of what the Pullman National Monument is all about. Now, in the Pullman National Monument, there are different sites that are there. Uh, each of those, each of us, I should say, we all have our individual niches, but um, many of those are focused on those particular things. In the Pullman National Monument, there's an entity called the Historic Pullman Foundation. Their specialty or their emphasis is on 19th century uh, architectural history. And that encompasses a, a lot of things, but that is the gist of what they do. And they have all manner of interesting things. They have, they offer walking tours and they focus laser-like focus on architectural history and the planning and design of what is some people say is the America's first planned company town. And then there is the Pullman Clock Tower, as it's lovingly called, but it was the Pullman Administration Building. And that is the site where the trains were manufactured. That is the site where the uh, Pullman offices were, and so tours are offered there by appointment only, where you currently, um, that you can go there and take a look around the factory and sort of get the feel of what that was like at that time. That is where the rail travel was revolutionized, shall we say. 
then there is the Hotel Florence, which was the hotel that was named after George Pullman's daughter that is very in close proximity to the Pullman Clock Tower. That, too, is available by appointment only. Then there is the National A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum. The focus there is Black labor history. It is a small, what we call niche museum, and is the only one of its kind worldwide, and it focuses 100% only on the Black labor history contributions with a specific focus on the African-American Railroad employee, which is the connection to the uh, Pullman Company. We have one restaurant uh, in the monument. It's called the Pullman Cafe. And so that is kind of what is there. What's coming is the National Park Service is going to have their office and build-out visitor center that will be located in the, in the Pullman Clock Tower. Sort of updates on that is that in the last week, they the selection of the architects were made who will be designing uh, and handling the build-out or establishing of the National Park Service office that will be located, an exhibit space that will be located in the uh, Pullman Clock Tower. I'm very happy to see that happening because, and I think it may have been about a month ago, there was an article in the newspaper that was picked up nationally that talked about the Pullman National Monument being closed because the Environmental Protection Agency had not cleared one of the buildings. And so I was in a snit about that because it gave the impression that nothing was happening in the Pullman National Monument because there was one building that does not have the clearance uh, to, to be open or to be prepared for visitors or to be visitor ready. But that is all changing some, uh, that particular building, that is changing some. And so work, I suspect that work will be um, commencing soon and we will keep you abreast of that. Um, the Metropolitan Planning Council for the city of Chicago also is, um, doing some work there and one of the things that I would ask of the listening audience, those who are in the state of Illinois or nationally, uh, to, to reach out for the Metropolitan Planning Council because sometimes when when other entities get involved, things get, shall we say, things get in the way and so there is this move afoot that We'll go back to the separating of the community into a black and a white thing. And that is not our desire. That is not what we want. And we, they would ben, the, the work would benefit from people making phone calls to the Metropolitan Planning Council. Their phone number is 312-922-5616. And basically, we're asking all of those interested parties to call the Metropolitan Council planning council and tell them to get their act in order. <laughs> so um, I hope that that short explanation provides you, the listening audience, 
with information uh, about the Pullman National Monument, and hopefully uh, it does. You can always visit the Pullman Porter Museum's website at pullmanportermuseum.com there, and we have all of the information on every site in the monument on our website, and that information is available to you there. So we, I hope that that's enough for you, and we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back. Today's show is partially underwritten by United Auto Workers, Local 551, and Hughes-Peterson Publishing, Chicago, Illinois. Visit the PullmanBorderMuseum.com where you can purchase an annual membership at the level of your choice. And, of course, visit our website here to find out more about the show live from the Pullman National Monument at bbsradio.com forward slash live from PNM to contact us. And we are back. We are back, and welcome back to Live from the Pullman National Monument. We have on our live line today our very special guest, Solomon and Gloria Herbert. They are publishers of the Black Meetings and Tourism magazine. They, I am told, are the gurus for statistical data on the African-American tourism market, and we have just been very anxious to get them on uh, because, of course, everyone knows this show is about tourism, global tourism, and and national tourism. And so we wanted to have uh, the opportunity to zero in on a particular market, and that is the African-American tourist uh, in this country and, and abroad. And we, in order to be accurate, we wanted to have some folks on who really knew uh, or savvy on, on the subject matter. And who better could we bring on but Solomon and Gloria Herbert? Welcome to the show. Well, it's our pleasure to be Thank here. Thank you. We're happy to be here. So what I'd like for you to do is after the introduction, just move out of the way and allow you to elaborate and expound upon the subject matter that you are experts in, and I'm going to be a member of the audience. I may occasionally ask a question or two, but I would like for you to introduce yourselves, uh, talk a bit about the publication and the new project you have about the new Green Book all of those wonderful things. So um, I would just like for you just to go on and uh, talk about both of those things. Okay. Well, uh, as far as the, the publication goes, the magazine Black Meetings and Tourism, we started the publication in 1993. That was when we first uh, formed the, the publishing company for that publication. We actually had another pu- magazine for a few years prior to that. But uh, 93 was when we launched the Black Black Meetings in Tourism. And our our goal is not only to uh, cover tourism and hospitality and and meetings industry in terms of places to go and and venues to use, but our focus is really on uh, economic empowerment of African Americans and and wealth uh, building. So while we talk about uh, 
you know, Los Angeles or St. Louis or U.S. Virgin Islands or whatever the destination may be and talk about all of the, the culture and the beauty and, and the, you know, the convenience of it and the, the magnificent hotels and all those kind of things. We want to make sure that, that African-American entrepreneurs, businesses, you know, benefit from the tourism that goes into these destinations. And sad, sadly, at this point in time, our research has shown us that less than 1% of the 60, nearly $60 billion that are spent every year by African-Americans in travel and tourism and meetings goes into African-American businesses. So we, we're working hard to change that dynamic to make sure that the more people are aware of the opportunities in travel and tourism and that they can tap into that and become you know, benef- uh, benefactors of some of that kind of business that goes into co- countries and, and states all over the nation and around the world. I'm happy to hear you give that explanation because one of the things that we talk about on this show every week is and we want to open the doors uh, of tourism, open the eyes of African Americans in particular to the opportunities that exist in the broader, under the broader umbrella of tourism. And we have coined the phrase cultural economic development because it's not just about a particular destination, say for the sake of this discussion, a Disney World. It's so much deeper than that. There are multiple opportunities, business opportunities that can be developed and entered into that are available under the broader umbrella of tourism that we as a community, African-Americans in particular, are just not aware of. And and it takes people like you to come on and talk about that. Yes, you know, just around the the meetings industry, for instance, uh, there there are so many opportunities from transportation, ground transportation, uh, uh, florists. You know, when when you go to a a luncheon or to a, a banquet, there's usually some sort of a arrangement on the table. Somebody has to do that, and, and very seldom is it an African American entrepreneur or florist is doing getting that opportunity. And mainly it's because not that they're not qualified to do it; they just don't know about those opportunities, and nobody's really, uh, you know, impressed upon them the importance of that. So we that's our mission. That's one of the things we're doing, and then, and many other uh, op- opportunities like that from the linen or uh, you know the table. You know, like in the hotel industry, we are, in fact, I am on the board of the National Association of African-American Hotel Owners, Operators, and Developers, and uh, there are so many opportunities. We have a conference every year, entrepreneurs who have any anything, whether it's artwork that they're trying to sell or, or you know, silverware or, or plasticware or, or linen, should be there and should, should hook up with that organization and learn how, what, what the process is to become uh, vendors for the various hotel chains and, and individual hotels around the country. So there are many, many opportunities, but like anything else, if you don't know about them, you can't take advantage of them. Absolutely. So many people, Dr. Hughes, don't realize uh, the positioning of travel as an industry in this country and worldwide. In the United States, some References say that travel and tourism is the second largest revenue generating and employment opportunity industry after uh, technology. Others say that it's third after technology and healthcare, but it's certainly uh, in the position for us to understand there are vast opportunities there. 
And the other part of it, as it has been mentioned, of course, we are about the business of travel. But in addition to that, we want to include the training that's important, uh, creating opportunities for young people to, to see the importance of preparing for these uh, wonderful careers. And uh, we too many times think that uh, service and servitude are the same thing our young people do. So when we talk about working in the hospitality and travel industry, many people envision a housekeeper, which is a wonderful uh, position to have at a property, by the way, but it could be a starting point. Or working uh, in the front desk could be a starting point. And we have many African Americans who are general managers of major hotels across the country. So we also want to keep that in mind. Thank you to Gloria and Solomon Herbert, publishers of Black Meetings and Tourism magazine, for a very informative segment. And you want to learn more information about the magazine and the content. Now they're talking about the economics of tourism. Visit their website at blackmeetingsandtourism.com. So, thank you very much for that, Gloria and and Solomon. So, let's go to break and come back with our next guest, Mr. Barry McNeely. Today's show is partially underwritten by United Auto Workers, Local 551, and Hughes-Peterson Publishing, Chicago, Illinois. back. I love that music, don't you? We are back and welcome to another segment of Around the Museum Table. Our guest today is Mr. Barry McNeely, a historian and program coordinator for the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute in Birmingham, Alabama, which is situated in the Birmingham National Monument of the National Park Service. Additionally, Mr. McNeely has been featured on local television and radio stations. He's also been featured nationally on Lifetime Television's Balancing Act and C-SPAN American History Television. Born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama, Barry has a special insight into the civil rights movement. He is an experienced lecturer and tour guide registered with the Birmingham Convention Bureau, as well as the Alabama State Department of Tourism and Travel. Barry McNeely, welcome to our show. Well, thank you for having me, Dr. Hughes. You are most welcome, and we hope this will just be one of the first of many visits uh, to this show. We, we This show, as you 
may know is all about tourism. And so we, we are always interested in, or we strive to get guests who are knowledgeable and savvy about the industry of tourism and about particular sites and one sites that are, would be interesting or of interest to national and international tourists. And I certainly do believe that the genre of civil rights and human rights in America is of interest to people across the globe. And so what better person could we have than you? And again, welcome to the show. And so I would ask that you tell us a little bit about yourself and then talk to us a bit about the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute, what they do, how long they've been around, that kind of thing. So so the, the floor is yours. Be our guest. Well, I've been interested in the civil rights movement and the human rights movement um, since I was a child. Uh, my um, aunt was a foot soldier here in Birmingham, Alabama. And, of course, your, your foot soldiers are those people who participated in the movement whose last names weren't Shuttlesworth or King or Parks, but they were the ones that provided that energy and support necessary for those great individuals to be successful. And having grown up um, listening to the things that she did and being inspired by it, it's just always something that's uh, been near and dear to me. And I was uh, blessed to be an intern at the uh, Birmingham Civil Rights Institute when I was in college, and, and now I'm uh, blessed to be the program uh, consultant there, helping to um, try to fulfill the mission of the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute, uh, and that, that mission is simply to enlighten each generation about civil and human rights by exploring our common past and working together in the present to build a better future. Uh, the Civil Rights Institute is currently celebrating 25 years of um, being an institution that allows for the conversation, for the um, discussion of where we've been where we are, and, and basically where we plan on going uh, in terms of how we treat and um, accept our fellow human beings on this, this planet. Well, that's certainly a, a broad, <laughs> it's certainly a broad umbrella, and, and one, quite frankly, given the state of where we are in this country right now is a huge undertaking and one that I hope uh, we will eventually conquer, but it is a laborious task, I'm certain, and I applaud you and the work that the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute is doing because it's certainly, this is one of those subject matters where it takes everyone. It's not just one, but it takes those who are in the vineyard, who are dedicated and committed to, to addressing or attacking that area 
and, and making the sacrifices required in order to accomplish that. That, that is a very powerful statement, and when you think of um, that, that vineyard, we, we, we do have people that uh, were there that ensured that growth and ensured that we would have present-day um, lessons and ideas and roadmaps to follow. Uh, at, at the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute, we are... Um, committed to highlighting those individuals. And one of those basic individuals that you have to talk about is uh, the Reverend Fred L. Shuttlesworth, uh, who was instrumental in the movement. Uh, he developed an organization known as the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights uh, in 1956, after the state of Alabama took the step of outlawing the NAACP from functioning within its borders. Uh, Fred Shuttlesworth was uh, instrumental in forming the Southern Christian Leadership Conference in 57 with Dr. Martin Luther King, and ultimately he invited Dr. King to join in the mass demonstrations that took place in Birmingham that led to the passage of the Civil Rights Act and Dr. King's uh, winning the Nobel Peace Prize. And so when we talk about individuals like that and try to bring their um, achievements to the forefront to examine them in today's perspective as to what lessons can we learn from them, that's pretty much the most important thing that we can do. And next month on the 18th, we will be... Um, presenting the Fred Shuttlesworth Human Rights Award that we present every year to keep people interested, but also to keep people mindful that those tasks that were began back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s of last century, those tasks haven't been completed yet. And so there's still a great deal of work to do. I, I'm wondering, I... I... I know that I'd be curious to know the perhaps the composition, if you will, of visitors who come to the institute. I know that you're situa situated in, in the uh, Birmingham National uh, Monument. Um, I'd be curious to know, and I think I would like for our listening audience to know, kind of what that looks like, what that what that visitorship base looks like. Because, and I'll tell you why, and then I'll step back and let you answer. It's because, again, this show is not just national, but it's international, and I know from personal experience from people who visit the site that I'm affiliated with in Chicago, which is the Pullman National Monument, we have a tremendous amount of international visitors. And curious enough, they always seem to be interested in the civil rights and human rights that particularly affect uh, the African-American population. So so I, I would just like for you to, if you have that, information or or can maybe just make a general statement about that 
Well, well certainly. Um, I, 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 along with you, uh, we in Birmingham are are part of the uh, national park system now with the designation of uh, our area, including the 16th Street Baptist Church and Kelly Ingram Park and uh, the A.G. Gaston Motel. The Birmingham Civil Rights Institute is, since January, a part of um, a national monument, and that is a very powerful designation. We're looking forward to seeing people from all over the United States of America and taking advantage of that. But the the crux of your question was uh, basically uh, what type of people are coming through the doors of the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute. And it, it gives me a, a sense of pride to say that we uh, see guests from all of the 50 states of the United States and and visitors from around the world. Uh, we uh, have developed partnerships uh, with uh, museums as far away as the Republic of South Africa. Uh, we just this weekend had journalists uh, coming through doing a story on the Institute from the United Kingdom. Uh, it, is, um, it is a fact that the movement in the United States, the modern civil rights movement, that is, uh, touched so many places around the globe. Uh, when, we, when we think of the uh, independence movements in, in Africa in the, the 60s and the early 70s, uh, we, we know that we can trace those back to what took place here in the United States. And uh, it seems that that story, as compelling as it is, is still leading people to come to our borders and come specifically to Birmingham to trace the history of how you go from being the um, Johannesburg of the South, uh, as we were referred to, as a metropolitan um, place that we are today. The guests that come are usually um, very interested in how involved the story is. And one of the things that I would urge anybody to do is to take a second look at the, the history of the American civil rights movement and the subsequent human rights movement, because there are so many fascinating details that the average citizen um, of the United States or of the global community could walk away with. Um, just the idea of the, the Pullman Museum. When I think of um, uh, the Pullman Museum, I, I, I think of uh, the, the leader that kind of kicked off a lot of the modern civil rights movement in Asa Randolph. And there are a lot of people that don't know that Asa Randolph uh, sponsored the idea of the march on Washington <laughs> decades before it took place. I know that, and I'm, I, I just want to say before I, I don't, I just want to interrupt you just to say thank you for that, for being knowledgeable uh, about that, because so many people just ha are, have the misinformation 
on the misimpression that it was in fact Dr. King who started the civil rights movement. And that is so not, that is, that is not to say that we take anything away from Dr. King, but it was other people before, you know, like a Philip Randolph and Reverend Shuttlesworth, people just don't know. And I think it's, we have an obligation, those of us in the vineyard like yourself and me, I'm included there, to make sure that people do know that. And so I'm going to shut up now and let you finish. <laughs> let you finish. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I, I, I just, I, I really am um, very committed to the idea that the more you know about this subject matter, the more engaging it becomes. Uh, at the at the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute, we, we have a program that's um, going into its 10th year this year, which is called the Legacy Youth Leadership Program. And I think the two most important words there are youth and and, and legacy. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to combine today's young people with the lessons of yesterday, uh, just right out of our mission to try to work together to build that that future that we're all looking for. And with these young people, we we take them in, and there's a 13-week training process where they learn the the, the history of the movement, and, and then they're allowed to serve the public and, and uh, community service by being doses at the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute. And those young people, um, they are very charged up by one of the things that we do in their training, and it's called Beyond King. And in Beyond King, What they're tasked to do is to go and find an individual who has touched our story in a positive way that doesn't have the last name King. And that takes nothing from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, but it's it's an important idea that they have to look past Dr. King if they'll ever see a Bayard Rustin or if they'll ever see a Fannie Lou Hamer or a Ella Baker. They have to be able to look past Dr. King to see a Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth. And in them, we, we imbue this idea of how important it is to look deeper into America's history. And, you know, the thing about it, uh, Dr. Hughes, is that is when they get it, then I think that's the most important thing of all, because they can continue to share it. And you never know um, where their impact is going to end. I think it's exponential once we can get one young person uh, involved in taking this history forward. That is that is very powerful and, and, and meaningful, and I'm glad that you did touch on that. You know, I often say that this show is about tourism, but there's so many layers of tourism. Most people, when they think about tourism, they're thinking about a place to visit. And, you know, in this country, they always think first thing is everybody wants to talk about Disney World. But there's so much, much, so much more that can be learned, learned and and 
information that be, can be gleaned from the multitude of places that are around this country and places like the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute is a magnificent example of the kinds of sites that tourists can visit where it's just not a place to go when they leave, when they come to visit and they leave your destination. They leave armed with information. They leave more informed. And I always say that uh, having an experience, an authentic African-American experience at a tourist destination, it makes for a better citizen. It really does because they, 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 I cannot tell you how many times I've heard visitors talking among themselves when they visit our site. And I know that this is replicated across the globe when people are talking among themselves after a visit or upon leaving. I did not know that. You know, and they talk about, they start to begin the conversations on the spot about what they did not know. And that says that we have done our job. Yes. Yes, uh, to me, that that and that's the sweet spot when you can can connect a person's field of experience where they're already interested with those things that they're not familiar with, and then create a greater desire to learn even more. Then you serve your purpose, and and I, I think that all such facilities should uh, strive to be able to meet people where they are, um, but then add that level of understanding that will um, encourage them and also uh, enable them to be able to find more information that uh, will make them better citizens of this country and also the world. Absolutely, absolutely. I want to learn more. I've never been to the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute. I would like to, and this is a huge ask, <laughs> but I would like for you to just to share, give us a picture of, of what a visit to the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute looks like. More importantly, maybe a broader picture of the Birmingham Civil Rights National Monument. Give us a, a sense of, we're trying to get visitors to come to your spot. And so you offer an array of destinations within one's place. So are you, can you share some information about those individual places? Well, the, 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 the city of Birmingham and, and the wonderful thing about history is, is that all communities have a very powerful story to tell. And it just requires a person being willing to, to listen. And in, in Birmingham, as I was about to say, there's a wonderful story of um, empowerment that is really the, um, the theme of American history of being confronted with uh, challenges and finding ways as Americans 
to overcome those challenges. And so when you come to Birmingham uh, and you visit, you're going to be able to, in, in a one square block area, uh, the, the Birmingham Civil Rights National Monument includes uh, Kelly Ingram Park, the site of the mass demonstrations that took place in the spring of 1963, uh, where young people in Shuttlesworth and King took on the most segregated big city in America with the leadership of Eugene Theopolis Connor, uh, more affectionately known as Bull. And you can go to Kelly Ingram Park today and see um, sculptures that are there that detail this historic battle that took place between nonviolent protesters and a city government committed to crushing their resistance. Uh, in that park, you, you'll see... Um, You'll see exhibitions dedicated to the young people as they face down the awful power of the fire department's water hoses. Or you'll see exhibitions dedicated to how young people were willing to allow themselves to be jailed innocently for the cause of justice. And in that park, you'll, you'll also see a, a tree planted in memory of and Frank, who is going to be killed, um, well, she dies in a concentration camp simply because of hatred. And the idea of that Anne Frank tree, I, I have to mention that because it is one thing that is very important about the Birmingham Civil Rights National Monument. It quickly reminds us that the story that is told there is not a story about black versus white. It is a story that is about what happens when man becomes inhumane to other men. And that story can be told um, around the globe, uh, in Rwanda. It could be told in Bosnia. It could be told in Cambodia. But it could also be told in Birmingham, Alabama. And as you take in that park, then you, you have the 16th Street Baptist Church, which was tragically bombed in September of 1963, taking the lives of four little girls who were preparing for a, a youth day performance. Um, you can actually go into that church and you can feel the, the awesome presence of being in a sanctuary that was touched by such powerful terrorism and hatred, but still stands today as a symbol of forgiveness and hope. Uh, and those two things are sort of bookending the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute which is a museum facility that has over 58,000 square feet of exhibition space that takes the visitor from 
the inception of Birmingham, Alabama, in 1871, which oddly, I should mention, Birmingham wasn't legally segregated in 1871 when it was founded. But it goes through that time period of history that includes, among other things, uh, Plessy versus Ferguson uh, by the Supreme Court, and eventually becomes a stronghold, a citadel for legalized separation of people. And as you go through those galleries through a multimedia uh, presentation that includes um, actual recordings of people that were in the movement, actual recordings of um, ministers and choirs, and you can see the exact jail cells, the bars, the 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 stool, the very stool that Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King sat on um, during the time that he was locked up in Birmingham when he wrote the letter from the Birmingham jail. You you can you can see the um, armored personnel carrier that Bull Connor would drive to demonstrations to demonstrate how powerful he was and how rigid his resistance was to those demonstrators. Um, and as you go through, you can also see, which I'm very glad to say is currently being digitized, you can see and sample the oral history, com, uh, oral history collection that the Institute has, has gathered. Uh, we've reached out and interviewed um, hundreds of individuals who were actually there in the 1940s and 50s and 60s who actually um, made these contributions that we all today live off of, that we, we stand on their shoulders. And it's, it's, it's a truth, it's not a welcome truth, but a lot of these people are, are leaving us now. And so one of the things that the Institute has done is it's reached out and it's preserved um, their legacy through these oral histories. And as a part of our 25th um, anniversary celebration, we're going to be um, hosting an exhibition of these foot soldiers from the time that they were young to present day, because we, we have to honor the people who gave us so much in the present that on a daily basis, I don't think we think about, but to, to round out that, that, that visit, um, a person can also see uh, Bethel Baptist Church, uh, where Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth was um, the pastor. And Bethel Baptist Church was, was bombed three times uh, because of his leadership and because of the intransient um, opposition of white supremacists who would, were willing to kill to maintain their status quo that they believed was the, the only way uh, to live. But today, Bethel has been uh, remodeled, and it is a part of that national monument. And people can go there and, and see that, also sanctuary for justice. 
So there's there's a great deal for individuals to be able to um, see on a first-hand basis in Birmingham. Uh, even uh, part of our ex exhibit in the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute contains uh, a, a barber chair from the barber shop where Dr. Martin Luther King used to come to Birmingham and get his hair cut. These, these are, are things that um, are interspersed with a dramatic telling of this history, but it also takes you back in time so that you can get as close as you can uh, to that period in history that has uh, changed so much in the United States and globally. I just have a question. Um, so, so these things are available to the visitors. So, how does that work? Do they do they come? Do they pay a fee for entry into the monument, uh, and then they can? Are they allowed to visit each site? How does that work? Well, currently, uh, if you come to the national monument. And by the way, my, my, my president and CEO, Andrea Taylor, would be um, a little um, unhappy with me if I did mention that you can come to the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute and bring your um, National Park passport and get it stamped. Oh, uh, you can yeah. Come there and get that yeah, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that. Uh, People but, are very uh, serious about that passport and the stamp. Yeah, we, we took our legacy students. Um, we took our legacy students. Uh, we try to take them to places to enrich them. And uh, this summer, we took them to Atlanta, and we took them to the King sites. And and of course, you you have your National Park Service um, footprint there. And they were able to get their passbook stamped. And and we also took them to Tuskegee, Alabama, where they were able to visit the uh, the university and. And they're yeah. also able to visit Moden Field and get their passbooks stamped. So the passbooks are very important. But it is indeed. But but yeah. I wanted to make sure that we uh, convey to our listening audience so that people know what to expect. So is yes, yes. entrance mm -hmm. in, entrance into the national monument is that free overall, or is it a fee for the individual sites? And what are the hours of operation? Yeah, very important question. And, and back to that, um, when you visit the National Monument, uh, the, the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute, uh, the, the 16th Street Baptist Church, they both have admission fees. It's, it's a $5 admission to uh, go to the 16th Street Baptist Church. Uh, the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute has a $15 admission fee for adults, but it's uh, only $3 for uh, young people who are outside of uh, Jefferson County. And, of course, there, there are group rates uh, because a lot of times people travel in terms of family reunions, uh, church groups, uh, uh, collegiate uh, uh, groups. So with the groups, there, there's a, a different rate that can be um, done as well. Plus there are so, so tell tell us tell the listening audience your website because we are winding down. This was a wonderful uh, interview, by the way. Um, sure. Give the listening audience your web address, and then we, regrettably, we're going to have to let you go. But will you come back? 
I will be happy to come back. Okay, so give us your... Go ahead. Certainly. Our our web address is uh, www.bcri, that's B as in boy, C as in cat, R as in right, I as investigate, dot org, bcri.org. Our telephone number is one eight seven seven three two eight nine six nine six. Well, Mr. Barry McNeely, everybody, of the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute, join me in thanking him for spending part of his Sunday with us. Mr. McNeely, thank you so much. And we're going to take you up on that response. We will be reaching out to you and asking you to come back again. It is my esteemed pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Um, And we are out of time. We are out of time. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you for sharing with us another informative show on the ever-expanding topic of tourism. Thank you to the listening audience for spending part of your Sunday with us. And a very special thank you to the Pullman Messenger Magazine, United Auto Workers Local 551, and Choose Chicago. Thank you to our fantastic engineer, Mr. Don Newsom, smooth jazz artist, Jonathan Fritzen for allowing us to use his music on our show every week. And last but not least, you, the listening audience, because without you, there would be no show. And we'll see you next time on Live from the Pullman National Monument. Live from Pullman National Monument was brought to you by Hughes-Peterson Publishing in Chicago, Illinois. Hosted by Dr. Lynn Hughes.